Chapter 21, 1986 through 1987, ages 31 through 32. In December of 1985, a shockwave rolled through the Gambino family after its boss, Paul Castellano, and his driver were gunned down outside Sparks Steakhouse in downtown Manhattan. Taking his place was Nicky Carrazzo's longtime rival, John Gotti. Robert managed to stay out of prison throughout all of 1986. He and Cece remained a couple, but her attitude toward him was different. Ever since the incident at Bruce's house where he knocked Cece unconscious, she displayed a genuine fear of Robert, especially when they argued. She was no longer the smart-mouthed girl who held her ground. Now she made great strides toward avoiding conflict. During this time, drugs began to dominate Robert's life and consumed a large portion of his funds. Whether snorting lines of coke at a club or freebasing in the privacy of a friend's home, Robert's high time was more often than not. Certainly, he had passed the line of occasional recreational usage and teetered on the edge of the abyss known as addiction. Tito's became Robert's favorite after-hours hangout. He had become acquainted with Tito's after he and Frankie Burke shot up the place, destroying its exotic aquariums and liquor bottles. The attack was in response to an act of disrespect by one of Tito's patrons to one of Robert's friends. It was the lesser of two evils. Robert had gone there to kill the men whose lack of respect had gone undisputed. Afterwards, Robert began hanging out at Tito's, parading around as if he was part owner, although that was the furthest thing from the truth. Paranoia, induced by his drug usage, drove him to keep a Remington 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun by his side at all times as he strolled around the bar. He'd walk from person to person, greeting friends and strangers alike, never noticing the uneasiness expressed on their faces as he precariously waved the shotgun around. One evening, Robert was at the club, drinking alone at the bar. Business was slow due to a winter blast that had slowed down an otherwise bustling Brooklyn. Around midnight, Robert's friend Angelo strolled in out of the blistery cold, rubbing his hands together. This kind of weather really makes me hate this town, Angelo said as he sat next to Robert at the bar, flapping the sides of his jacket to loosen the snow. Hey, hey, Robert said, shielding himself from the barrage of wetness with his left arm. Keep that mess to yourself. Robert slid a bottle of scotch to Angelo and signaled the bartender for a glass. Here, this will take the edge off the cold. Robert filled the glass and within a minute consumed its entire contents. He refilled it. Where have you been? Robert asked. Angelo shrugged. You know, running here and there, trying to make a couple of bucks. The mention of money always piqued Robert's interest. Oh yeah? What, are you talking about a score or something? Angelo nodded. Yeah, maybe. Robert sipped his drink. You got my attention. For the next half hour, Angelo provided Robert with the details of the scam. Sounds like a lot of money could be made, Robert said. Yeah, and it'll be hard to trace back to us. Robert nodded. Count me in. He set his glass down and pointed the shotgun towards the back. Let's go. Both men got up and walked past the restroom to a room the owner used as an office. The dimly lit, dingy room was large enough to accommodate a desk, couch, and its own bar, where Robert refilled his glass from a different bottle while Angelo laid out several lines of coke. Within an hour, the coke was gone and the bottle was empty. Robert sat on the couch, the shotgun between his legs, pointed toward the ceiling. Angelo was across from him, 
propped up on a bar stool. This is all messed up, Robert said, pressing the release lever on the shotgun, allowing its double barrels to pivot down. Angelo briskly rubbed his face with both hands. Messed up? What's messed up? Robert removed one of the shells from the receiver and threw it behind him. Everything, he said. The seconds that followed were darkened in Robert's mind. But when he recovered, the shotgun was locked and aimed at Angelo, whose hands were slightly elevated. Robert, what are you doing? Robert laughed. It's not loaded, you idiot. Yes, it is. No, it's not. I took the shells out. No, you didn't. There's still one in there. Now quit pointing it at me. Robert didn't listen. Instead, he continued to tease Angelo. Angelo swore at him. Put the gun down before you kill me. Robert smirked. You don't trust me? He lowered the gun, placing the butt on the floor. I'll prove to you it's not loaded. He leaned the shotgun toward him and positioned his mouth over the end of both barrels. No, Robert! As Angelo lunged forward to stop him, Robert pulled one of the triggers, but not before he moved the barrels to the side of his head. The force of the explosion generated by the single shell still residing in the shotgun's chamber pummeled Robert, sending him and the couch rocking backwards. The couch crashed to the floor with Robert still in it. Robert couldn't hear Angelo due to the tremendously painful ringing dominant in his left ear, but his friend's expression conveyed his angry message without the need of words. Nevertheless, he helped Robert to his feet. I guess it was loaded, Robert said, his voice echoing deeply inside of him. The bartender burst through the door and spoke to Angelo with lots of animation. At first, Robert couldn't understand what he was saying, but then he pointed at Robert, followed by a thumb gesture, and the message to get out became clear. In the first part of 1987, Robert had four pending cases against him, including bail jumping. With the heat rising in New York, he figured his best option was to get out of town before he ended up in prison again. He had always wanted to go to Las Vegas, so Vegas was his choice. Even though the tension between he and CeCe was heavy, CeCe decided to go with him, but only with the promise that he would stay away from drugs. When they arrived, they initially stayed with some friends who lived about 25 minutes from the Strip. CeCe found a job at the Continental Hotel and Casino while Robert did his best to combat his drug addiction. Within a couple of months of moving there, Robert received tragic news. On May 18th, his good friend Frankie Burke was gunned down, fulfilling an omen Robert spoke over Frankie not long before he and Cece moved to Vegas. Robert, Frankie, and an older guy named Tito, not to be confused with the Tito that owned the after-hours joint, were getting high together when Frankie spoke disrespectfully to Tito. Tito, an old-school mobster, threatened to kill him. Robert told Frankie he needed to watch his mouth or Tito would follow through with his threat. Frankie blew it off, having the youthful mentality of invincibility and the false confidence that his father Jimmy's reputation would prevent any harm from coming to him. Frankie disrespected Tito again, who left and returned with a gun. He shot Frankie in front of a bar on Crescent Street. Robert was floored by the news, but decided it was best that he didn't return to New York for the funeral. As hard as he tried, Robert failed to stay away from the drugs. Again, he and Cece moved, this time to California, where another friend put him to work at his restaurant. Again, the drugs took over. 
After only a few months there, Robert and Cece returned to New York. Back in New York, the fragile foundation upon which their relationship was built finally collapsed. He had been drinking heavily at a bar one evening and began to surmise that something was up with Cece. Not wanting the hassle of being hit with another weapons charge, he left his gun with the bartender and went to see Cece where she was living. There he looked through the window and saw her walking past as if she were heading to her apartment upstairs with another friend of Robert's following her. He ran around to the front door, which opened up to the stairs and looked into the window. There, Cece and the friend had stopped at the landing and were kissing. Empowered by his rage, Robert busted down the door. Immediately, his friend ran toward the back door. Unable to get to him, Robert released his anger once again by hitting Cece. This time she rolled with the punch and escaped to her apartment upstairs where she locked herself in. Robert staggered back to the bar and got his gun. When he returned, he went upstairs and continued arguing with Cece while banging on the door. A few minutes later, Cece's sister arrived in her car. Apparently, Cece had called and asked her to come get her. Robert came downstairs while Cece stayed locked up in her apartment. Her sister started arguing with Robert, calling him names and telling him to leave. Unconcerned about the attention he was drawing and infuriated by the tongue lashing, he cocked his 357 Magnum, pointed it at her back passenger window, and shot. The glass spiderwebbed in a million directions before collapsing into the back seat. After the screaming subsided and Cece's sister slung several expletives Robert's way, she sped away. Later on, Robert was ordered to come to a sit-down with two guys. One of them was a wise guy from another family. Supposedly, they wanted to resolve the issue concerning the situation between Robert and the friend. Cece was there, as well as the family who lived there. Just before the sit-down got underway, the family left. Robert started getting suspicious, especially when Cece tried to leave as well. Whether his paranoia was drug-induced or not, he made Cece stay, thinking nothing would happen to him if she were there. Feeling that his life was on the line, Robert decided to play off the incident as a product of his imagination due to excess of drinking. This apparently satisfied the two men. They stood, hugged Robert, and then left. <laughs>